All right, the book of Galatians. That's where we've been all summer. That's where we're going to be again today. Go ahead and grab your Bible if you have one or turn to it on your phone or wherever you've got your, your Bible. Make your way to Galatians 5. God willing, we're going to wrap up uh, chapter 5 today. Uh, in case you missed last week or any part of the series, uh, the book of Galatians is a letter. It's uh, written by the Apostle Paul to a group of young Christians in an area called Galatia, which is in the Middle East. And he's writing these new Christians, and he's telling them basically, hey, listen, you need to stick to the simple gospel of Jesus. All right, so don't, don't like try to add religion to it. Uh, don't subtract from it by embracing sin. All right, those were kind of the common distortions of the gospel back then, 2,000 years ago. And frankly, those are the common distortions of the gospel now, even within our church culture today. And Paul says, no, listen, you need to trust in the Jesus the plus nothing else gospel, right? That's, that's where you're going to find freedom. That's where you're going to find life. And then this week, Paul's going to tell us how the freedom that we can find in Jesus changes us at the core level. You know, change or transformation is something that our culture almost seems obsessed with. It doesn't take long if you're kind of sitting at home uh, at night by yourself just channel surfing. Uh, to run across about a million weight loss shows. Have you noticed that? There's like a million of them on TV. And uh, my favorite one a couple years ago was a show called The Biggest Loser. You guys remember that? So they'd kind of break up into teams, and I like competition and sports, and so it was kind of like that, and they would see which team could lose the most weight, and it was kind of a lot of fun. And now you kind of come across uh, shows. There, there's uh, the six, My 600-Pound Life Now, uh, about two dozen others that you kind of come across there's about a dozen plastic surgery shows now on TV. You just see kind of like scrolling through. And the reality is most of us would like to change certain things about our bodies, right? So like a lot of us, we just kind of wish we were taller or we wish we were thinner or we wish we had a smaller nose or if we have straight hair, we wish we had curly hair. If we had curly hair, we wish we had straight hair. I wish your eyes were blue or green or brown, whatever it is, right? It seems like our culture just has almost this unhealthy obsession with, with change, especially as it comes to uh, our bodies. But the truth of the matter is there's a deeper type of change that most of us desire, and that's interchange, like heart-level transformation. And, that, and that's even harder change than our outward appearance because the truth is, for most of us, we could go on a diet, right? We can deprive ourselves of our favorite foods and be miserable for like a month or two months. And we could drop 5 pounds or 10 pounds or 20 pounds and kind of change the way that we look. For most of us, we could go get a new hairstyle or a haircut and change the way we look that way. Or we could go buy a new wardrobe. Like it's not really hard to change our outward appearance. But it's, it's like it's the darker stuff. Right, that kind of lurks in our hearts, the stuff that we try really, really hard to conceal, because the truth of the matter is we're, we're just terrified. Like if people found out what really kind of swims around in the deep places and crevices of our heart, that people wouldn't love us and they wouldn't accept us. You know, things like anger, bitterness, jealousy, sexual sins, idolatry, like, like all of that nasty stuff that we, we hide and we, we try really high, hard to hide it well. But be, deep down, we all know that we need change. Like we, we need transformation at that deep heart core level, far more than we need any superficial change to our bodies. And here, here's what I know. The vast majority of us want to change at that level. Most of us 
want to change at that deep, heart, core level. And I know that because any bookstore that you walk into in America, or you can go to Amazon.com if you prefer to shop online, and every other book that you come across is a self-help book on how to change. Right? I mean, there's just there's millions of them. How to have a better relationship. How to have better finances. How to become a millionaire. How to be a better leader. How to change this about yourself. How to change that about yourself. Like, we've built this multi-million dollar industry on self-help that's trying to answer this one core question, and it's this. How do I change? How do I change? How, how do I fix what's broken at my core? And the problem is that the answers that our culture gives us can't actually touch our core. Like, like no self-help book, no yoga session, no meditation method, none of that stuff is going to root out like the black, nasty stuff in my heart and my soul. And it's not going to do that for you either. And so the question is, can we change that stuff? Like that deep-seated, that deep-rooted stuff in our hearts and our minds that we don't want anybody to see. Is it even possible to change at that core level? And if it is possible, how do we do that? And Paul's going to kind of help us unpack that today. So Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So let's talk about what Paul is not saying before we talk about what he actually is saying here. When Paul uses that word that we translate flesh, Paul is not saying that our bodies are bad and that our spirits or our souls are, are good. That's like a common misconception in a lot of American churches today. Paul is just saying that there's this part of us that is our carnal human nature. Right? This part of us that, that even as believers, the Holy Spirit is still working on. He's, he's untangling this part of us in a process that the Bible calls sanctification. Right, This process of becoming more and more like Jesus over the course of our, of our journey with him. See, Paul talked about this battle within himself in his letter to the Romans. Right, When I began to follow Jesus myself at the age of 20, Listen, there were, there were some sin patterns in my life that on that day when I gave my life to Jesus, there were some sin patterns that died that day. Like I just, I, I never did those things again. There were other sin patterns in my life that have been an all-out war every day of my life since that day. You know, Paul, Paul is not saying that our bodies are evil. Um, he's simply saying, listen, this is part of our fallen human nature that works against the spirit that's living within us. Now listen, you know that to be true. We all know that to be true. There is a war that is waged in our hearts every day of our lives. That's what Paul is saying here. So the question then becomes, well, how do I beat my sin nature? How, how do I do that? And Paul says, listen, you walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's another way to say kind of the, the same thing. The way you beat your sin nature, and you need to, listen, dial back in if you're kind of zoning out, because this is important. This could change your life. The way that you beat your sin nature is by falling more and more in love with Jesus as you walk in his Spirit. Now, Paul's going to kind of expand on that in a minute. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. So Paul is saying, listen, if you're walking by the Spirit, you're no longer under the weight of religion. You're no longer under the weight of legalism. Like, listen, in Jesus, you are free from all of that junk. And for, for listen, for those of us who grew up in a church context 
that was all about the list of do's and the list of don'ts. Like, hey, man, here's this list over here. If you do all these things, then God is going to love you. But then there's this list over here, and if you do all these things over here, God isn't going to love you. In fact, he's probably going to hate you, and he's probably going to punish you. Like, if you grew up in that context, what Paul just said in verse 18, this is really good news. Like, Jesus frees us from that bondage. Like, he puts his spirit inside of us, and he sets us free to enjoy him and enjoy life. Now, before we move on to the next section, it's important for us to remember that for the first four and a half chapters of this book, Paul has been just hammering on this gospel distortion of legalism. I mean, he's just been killing this idea that we can get to God by being religious, or that we can actually get to God by keeping all the rules, or even by being a good person, right? That's, that's kind of like the popular one in our culture right now. Just be a good person. Just do, good, more, do, do good, more good stuff in your life than you do bad stuff in your life, and you're going to be all right. And Paul says, listen, that is legalism. That's a works-based system of salvation. That's not the gospel. That cannot save you. That can enslave you, but it cannot save you. So now Paul's about to shift gears a little bit. He's going to focus on the other common gospel distortion, and that's license. So if we have legalism on the, the one hand, this idea that we can work our way to God by being good people or being religious people or by keeping a certain set of rules to earn his love or approval. If that's legalism, on the other hand, you have license. It's this idea, well, hey, man, if God loves me, if Jesus died for me to, to pay for my sins, and he's going to keep forgiving me, his forgiveness is not going to run out, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want to do it, whatever feels good, I'm going to do it. That's license. They're both different distortions of the gospel. And Paul's now going to address license, beginning in verse 19. He says, uh, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul gives us a list of the fruits of the flesh. We could also call these the the fruits of of death. And the first three that he gives us are sexual sins in nature, right? We don't have time to dive into kind of all the nuances of the three Greek words that Paul uses here. But suffice it to say, Paul is covering all forms of sexual sin here, right? From sexual relationships outside of marriage to unnatural forms of sex to unbridled sexuality, just kind of this idea that many of us have in our culture where, hey, listen, if it feels good, especially between two consenting adults, and just go for it. Now listen, can we have real talk j- just for a moment? Our culture has lost its ever-loving mind on the topic of sexuality. Can we just agree on that? Now listen, understand this. This is important for you to understand. Sex is good. Like, like sex is Sex is God's idea. I think a lot of us, especially if you grew up in the church, we had this weird kind of twisted idea that it's, it's like this nasty little secret that we discovered that we're not supposed to know about. And God's up there, we're like, we got to kind of like shield it and hide it because if he finds out about it, he's going to try to take it away from us or something like that. It was his idea. <laughs> Go read Genesis. But listen, this is what our culture has done with it. We have taken a good gift from God and we have begun to worship the gift rather than the giver of the gift. And in the process of worshiping the gift, we have twisted it into an idol that can only crush us instead of satisfying us. You see, the pleasures of sex were designed to be enjoyed in the context 
of a covenant marriage between a man and a woman in such a way that points us to greater pleasures in God. And see, whenever we take something that was designed to be enjoyed and point us to something greater, we take it, we take that gift, and we make it primary in our lives, it always ends up crushing us. Anything that was designed to be enjoyed as a secondary gift, we take it and we make it primary. The weight of it will crush us. That's true with sex. It's true with good gifts like food, drink, exercise, work. Like any of those gifts that we, that we place in a place of primacy in our lives, a place of worship, they will eventually crush us, destroy us. It's just a matter of time. Paul then moves on in his list of the fruits of death that are religious in nature. So he says idolatry and sorcery. So worshiping things in our lives that we ought not to worship. And he even talks about sorcery, like this idea, this, this attempt to manipulate the spiritual world around us and manipulate God to get what we want or even to manipulate Satan with charms and spells. And listen, before you kind of check out, you're like, man, I'm not a witch. That doesn't apply to me. Listen, there are plenty of Christians that play those games with God. Plenty of Christians that try to control God. And it kind of goes like this. Man, if I do these three things over here, or these four things over here, then God is going to have to do what I want him to do. So if I read my Bible this week, if I pray this week, if I go to church this week, if I don't look at porn this week, if I send my tithe in this week, then God's got to give me this job that I really want that I'm applying for over here. Or God has to heal my marriage, or heal my child, or make me a millionaire, whatever it is. And we begin to treat God as this cosmic butler who exists to serve our needs. Right? And we kind of become our own gods under the guise of Christianity. And Paul would say, listen guys, that is a deadly fruit. So then Paul moves on in his list and he starts talking about the fruits of a messed up heart. And a, and a kind of a messed up attitude. So things like anger. Jealousy, strife, rivalry, division, bitterness, right? When we're broken, when we're broken people inside, we break stuff in our lives. You've heard it said before, hurt people, hurt people, right? And so if the, if the fruit of our inner heart is stuff like that, anger, jealousy, bitterness, rivalry, we're, we're not only miserable people ourselves, but we're, listen, we're going to bust up the relationships in our life. We're going to make other people miserable around us, right? Our, our spouses, our kids, our friends, this is dangerous toxic fruit in your life, Paul says. And Paul finishes the list with three things. He says uh, these, these kind of fruits of death are also drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And the idea here is that of addiction. Addiction to, it could be anything. Addiction to alcohol, addiction to sex, addiction to shopping, right? Retail therapy. A lot of us as Americans, we really like that. And for me, I, man, I, that's a draw for me. Um, not so much like shopping for, for clothes and things like that, but I, I like devices, like electronics. So like when a new iPhone comes out, I start to foam a little bit at the mouth. Right? And I, and I want to go and want to get that thing, and I want to see the new bells and, and whistles on it, right? And I get that thing, and I get it in my hand, and I get that hit of dopamine in my mind, and it feels really good, and I got that rush, right, for like a day or two or a week, and then it's gone. Then I need something else, right? Need another iPad or iPod or MacBook or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it could be just anything, anything that we constantly go to to get that hit of dopamine, get that rush to make us feel better. Like, you don't have to be a crack addict to be an addict. Some of us are addicts to social media, right? Got really quiet in here. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that other stuff that you teens use that I don't even know how to pronounce. 
right? We go to these things, we're like, man, I got to get more likes. I got to get those shares. I got to get that hit. I got to get that rush. I got to get that dopamine, right? And Paul goes, look, that is addiction. That is deadly fruit. It's going to lead you to emptiness. It's going to lead you to destruction. It's going to lead you to death. Now, if you're like me, here's the danger when you look at a list like this. The list of the fruits of death, the fruits of the flesh that Paul just gave us. Here's my temptation, because here's, here's the truth, especially for those of us who are Christians. We like to make categories of sin, don't we? We like to make categories of sin. And so what that looks like for a lot of us, even if we wouldn't say this out loud, this is how it plays out in our minds and our hearts. We think, man, all those sins for those people out there, for those people outside the four walls of this church, those are really bad sins. Those are really, really bad That'll probably send them to hell. But my sins, not so bad. Not really that bad. The only problem with that is, look, Paul puts anger right in the same list as orgies and witchcraft. So listen, if you're like me, and you're probably not like me because I'm a really bad sinner, but if you're, if you're like me, you go to a coffee shop and like your, your witch, you could just, I mean, your, your, your barista, she's, she's a witch, like your witch. <laughs> Everybody has a witch, right? Your barista who happens to be like, like into Wicca, you know, wearing all black. And there's a lot of that in Nashville. And you've got like a pentagram tattooed, you know, on her form or whatever. And if you're like me, you just think like, sheesh, like she's going to hell. That's unfortunate. That's, 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 that's guess what though? My anger, my jealousy, whatever sin is in my heart that I don't think is that bad. That listen, my sin is just as toxic just as putrid in the sight of a perfect and holy God as witchcraft or homosexuality or whatever sins that we think are bigger than our own sins. And look, I, listen, I'm going to say this. It might make some of you mad, but I'm going to say it anyway. My heterosexual sin is just as offensive and putrid in God's eyes as someone else's homosexual sin. See, my anger is just as jacked up and toxic to my heart as someone who's trying to find their purpose in life by wearing a pentagram or chanting some spell in their basement. So here's the first point that I want you to take home this morning. I want you to write this down. I want you to make it personal. My sin is toxic to my heart. My sin is toxic to my heart. Your sin is toxic to your heart. Stop focusing on everybody else's sin and focus on what's killing your heart. Focus on what's blowing up your relationships. Focus on what's keeping you unsatisfied at the core level. Listen, we are all messed up and we all need Jesus. Can we just agree on that? Man, you need Jesus. Man, you need Jesus to deliver you from your porn addiction just as much as your barista who's a witch or your homosexual neighbor needs deliverance from the darkness of their sin. So let's stop making categories. Let's, let's start pursuing the only thing that can set any of us free, and that's Jesus. Paul finishes off this list of toxic fruits with a chilling statement. He says, those who do such things, or your translation may say practice. That's probably actually a better translation. Those who practice such things will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul is talking about those who habitually live in this list. It's like if you, if you pursue these things, if you delight in these things, Paul would say, listen, you don't know Jesus. 
You don't have his spirit living within you, and so you will not taste God's kingdom either in this life or the one to come. Now, Paul is not saying that if you've ever done anything on this list, you can't get in. Like, we would all be in deep, deep trouble if that were true. I've done a lot of things on that list, right? Heaven would be completely empty if Paul is saying, if you've done anything ever on this list that you're not getting in. He's simply saying, listen, if this list marks your life, if, the, if these fruits are the primary fruits of your life, you need to meet Jesus. You need to have your heart transformed by him. And listen, I care about you enough, I love you enough as your pastor to tell you that if you have embraced this lifestyle, if you embrace the lifestyle that's just kind of characterized, dominated by these fruits, listen, I don't care how religious you are. I don't care how often you come to church. I don't care if you have the entire Bible memorized. I don't care if you have John 3.16 tattooed all across your back. You need Jesus to revolutionize your life, to give you a new heart, or you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look, here's what scares me as a pastor. Some of you are religious, but you've never met Jesus. Some of you are religious, but you don't know Jesus. You've come to church your whole life, maybe since before you can remember, and you know all the right answers. You know all the right Sunday school answers. You got portions of scripture memorized. Man, you got it together, but your heart has never been changed by a dynamic relationship with your creator through Jesus Christ. See, so, some of you are deceived. You think you're a good person, right? You, by your own standards. You think you're a good person, but you've never actually surrendered your life to the only one who is truly good, and that's Jesus Christ. And as long as you keep yourself deceived, your life will continue to produce rotten fruit. Now, if you're like me, this is gonna be the temptation for some of you as you kind of process a message like this, because this is how I've always typically processed messages like this. For some of you, this is what you're thinking in your mind right now. Man, I gotta start trying harder. Man, I gotta, start, I gotta start working a lot harder because the reality is there are a lot of those nasty fruits that are in my life, that are present in my life right now, and it really concerns me. Like, I'm not even sure if I'm a, I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian in this moment. Like, I, this is terrifying me that a lot of these fruits are in my life. And so you're thinking right now, man, tomorrow is gonna be a new day. Tomorrow, I'm gonna start trying harder. I'm gonna work harder. So starting tomorrow, no more porn. Starting tomorrow, man, no more overeating. Starting next week, no more drunkenness. Starting this afternoon, man, no more anger outbursts at my spouse or my kids, whatever it is. And listen to me, if that's what you're thinking right now, you are already on the path to failure. You're already on the path to failure because here's the secret. You're not strong enough. You're not strong enough on your own. See, the pull of the flesh is too strong for us. Now, you may win for a day. You may even win for a week. If you have, like, out of this world discipline, maybe you'll even win for a month. But eventually, you will fail, and you will fall right back into the patterns that have enslaved you your entire life. And the way that I know that is because I've tried 10,000 times. And I've failed 10,000 times. You are not strong enough on your own to do this. And so here's the second truth that I think Paul would give us. You cannot fix your heart by trying harder. You can't. That's really bad news, by the way. 
That's really depressing news, but that's not where the story ends. Let's keep on. Verse 22. Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul, Paul goes, look, if you know Jesus, if you're walking in his Spirit, here are the fruits that your life over time will begin to produce. And I saw something that I noticed for the first time this week. I've been a Christian for 18 years. I've probably read this passage dozens of times. I've never noticed this before. But Paul says the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It's singular. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, will look like this. And that's problematic for a lot of you who maybe are like me and you like to cherry pick lists like that. And you think, man, well, I, I got like 60% of those. Got like 65% of those. I don't have all of them, but I got a lot of them. So I'm probably in. I'm probably doing pretty good. And so we make goofy, even excuses like, man, I'm got Irish ancestry, red hair. And so I'm never going to be patient. I'm never not going to have anger problems. Right? And Paul is saying, these are not fruits. This is, this is one fruit. Like you cut open this one fruit, and all these things are in that one fruit. So he's saying God grows his sons, grows his daughters over time in, in all of these things. It's one fruit, not a bunch of different fruits. See, the fruit of our lives is just an outgrowth of the seeds in our heart. And until Jesus gives you a new heart, listen, it is no more possible for you to produce these fruits in your life than it's possible for an apple tree to produce strawberries. Right? I mean, if you have an apple tree... You can try really, really hard to make it produce strawberries. You can read books about how to grow strawberries. You can pray over the apple tree that it would produce strawberries. You could send it strawberry vibes, whatever you want to do. And when you wake up the next morning, guess what you're going to have on your apple tree? You guys are so smart. You're going to have apples on the apple tree. You want strawberries. You need a whole new plant to get a whole new fruit. Right? And until you change the seed in the soil, the fruit will remain the same. So here's the third point. We're getting close to the end here. Healthy fruit comes when we plant our roots in the right place. You want healthy fruit? Plant your roots. Plant your life. Plant your heart. Plant your affections in the right place. A few years ago, I was walking around Lowe's, and I found this beautiful a uh, weeping cherry tree. And I thought, man, that thing would look really great in my yard. And so I bought it. And I took it home, and I dug a hole. And as I was digging the hole for that cherry tree, uh, as I got deeper, I got into some really rocky soil. It was re just really bad soil. It wasn't good at all. But I thought, man, this is where it's going to look good in my yard, so this is where it's going. And so I planted the cherry tree there. And over the course of a year, two years, it started to get really unhealthy, and it started to die to the point where I thought it was dead. I mean, no leaves, no flowers, just brown branches, even in the springtime. Now, I, I could have gone out every spring, and I could have purchased some beautiful 
uh, cherry flowers, and I could have stapled them onto uh, that dying cherry tree, and it would have looked really good, wouldn't it? It looked really good for like a while from a distance until they begin to die. But would those stapled on flowers change the condition of that tree? Absolutely not. On the inside, that cherry tree would still be a dying, rotting tree. Now, I thought that tree was dead, and I was getting ready to pull it up, throw it away, and I thought, man, I'm just going to move it some other place in my yard just to see if there's any life left in it. And So I put it in a different area with better soil, and what do you know, the next spring it came back to life. I had green leaves, pretty cherry, white cherry blossoms on it, and I didn't even have to staple any flowers on it, right? It just, it produces flowers, it produces its fruit naturally, effortlessly. See, and, and like, like for us as human beings, the good soil that will produce the good fruit in our lives is a relationship with Jesus. And over time, as we walk with his Holy Spirit, we will begin to produce these fruits in our lives naturally. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. So back to our original question that we started with, man, how can I change? How can I change at the core level? Like all that nasty stuff that's really deep inside all of us. How do I drill down in there and change that stuff? How do I get from the the first list of toxic fruits of death? And how do I get over to that second list to get to the fruits of life that lead to freedom? Here's how. Listen, when you fall more and more in love with Jesus, you won't have to try not to do list one. And you won't have to try to do list two. You'll begin to do those things naturally. There's this old hymn that I remember singing as a kid. And um, I'm not going to sing it to you. I sang you Father Abraham a couple weeks ago. And I think some of your ears are still bleeding from it. But I do want to read you just a little bit um, from this old hymn. I have the words, I think, on the screen behind me. Now, this is what the hymn says. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Friends, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your heart to Jesus. Place your life's affections on Jesus. And the things of this earth, the pull of our flesh, of our fallen nature, as we love Jesus more and more, will grow strangely dim. And here's our last point, and we'll wrap it up. Last point is this. Fall in love with Jesus, and the fruit will follow. Friend, don't chase the fruit. It's a losing battle. Chase Jesus and the fruit will come. Think about a time where you fell in love, right? Boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe your spouse many years ago. In those initial days of getting to know somebody, of loving somebody, did you have to try really hard? Like when I first started dating Cheryl, when we first started dating, I didn't have to force myself to spend time with her. 
or to call her or to buy her flowers or to take her on dates. It wasn't like, oh, dang, i got to take her on another date again. Can't believe this, her expectations. No, listen, man, that, that stuff came naturally. It came effortlessly because, listen, I was, I was falling in love with my wife. So, Christian, listen to me. Keep loving Jesus. Keep pressing into him. Keep walking in his spirit. And the fruits will begin to come naturally. So, listen, stop trying. Stop trying and start falling in love with Jesus. Our response time is going to be really simple this morning. I'm going to invite our band to come on up, our ushers to come to the tables. We're going to celebrate in just a minute. I would ask you to bow your heads just for a second because we're going to have a time of prayer. And then we're going to come and we're going to celebrate. Now listen, if you're here and you're a Christian this morning, here's the question that I just want you to kind of grapple with right now in your mind. Based on what Paul has said to us in Galatians. What fruits of the flesh do you need to crucify this morning by loving Jesus more than you love that stuff? Just pray, just ask God, man, God, tell me. Reveal to me right now, God, because I want to know. Like, I don't want this stuff to dominate me. I don't want this stuff to enslave my heart. God, what, what, what fruits of the flesh are in my life that are not pleasing to you right now? God, reveal those to me and then help me, help me crucify those things as I love you more than I love all that other junk in my life. Now, listen, if you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus, we're super happy that you're here. But I have to tell you that your life's fruit is going to be toxic because your heart is broken. You need a new heart. Just like I needed a new heart when I was 20 years old. You need a new heart. And only Jesus can give you a new heart. Only He can take out your heart of stone and replace it with a beating heart of flesh. So I just want to take just a minute. I want to pray in silence as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Christian, listen, spend some time repenting of any sin patterns in your life. God, reveal to me what's not pleasing. Give me the courage to crucify it, to walk away from it as I love you more. Listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, now would be a perfect time to just cry out to God in the silence of your own heart and your mind and say something like this, God, I need you. God, listen, I'm broken, and I know I'm broken, and I know that you're the cure to my brokenness now. So God, would you forgive me? Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my rebellion. God, I want to give my life to you. God, would you give me a new heart? God, would you place your spirit inside of me so that I can love you, so that I can live in the freedom that you bought for me with your own blood on the cross? Let's pray in silence just for a minute. You do do business with God and then we'll come to the tables.